Welcome to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. You can also check us out online at realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. All right, you guys can be seated. I'm actually kind of impressed with you this morning. I, uh, I sent our staff a text and I said, spring forward and it's pouring down raining. We'll have 10 people at church today, not counting the praise band. And I'm impressed. I'm impressed that you guys got up and came. I think it's really good that you guys got up and came. So thank you guys so much for, uh, so much for being here. And uh, I want to take a look at uh, John chapter 7 is where we're going to be at. We're going to be in John chapter 7, and it's, we're going to start in verse 37. That's John chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 37. Don't forget, I do want to remind you, uh, the series we're going through is in John, and we know that, that John's main focus is this, when you believe, you then live. And he's not just talking, <clears throat> he's not just talking about living eternal, eternity, which in eternity, which we do. Uh, he's talking about living today. Uh, that's why we see verses like John 10, 10 that says, hey, the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy, but he, may, he came that we may have life and life more abundant. And so his whole point is this, his whole point is showing Jesus that Jesus, when you believe in Christ, you have an abundant life and what that means and what that looks like. And so I want to take a look and let you know that John 1 through 12, the book, uh, the book, the chapters 1 through 12 is about the book of signs. We're go- we've been looking this whole time at what he's done and, and the actions that he had and the miracles that he had. And John 13 through 21 is known as the book of glory. The second half of the book is the book of glory. And that is his giving his life over and defeating death for you and for me. And as I was saying, the main purpose of this uh, book is found in John 20, 31. And so we read this every week and I, I don't want you to miss it. It says, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life to the power of his name. So by it, it, that you may continue to what? To believe that he is the Messiah. And what does believing in him do? It gives us power and it gives us life by, by, his, by his name. So let's take a look at John chapter 7, verses 37 through 53. Let's read that. <clears throat> let's read that. Starting in verse 37, it says, On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd. This is the, the festival of shelters. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me, uh, to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said the living water, he was speaking of the spirit who who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given. And why hadn't the spirit been given? Well, because Jesus had not yet ascended. Jesus was still here. And so there was no need for the one that would come after yet. But the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not entered his glory into his glory. And when the crowds heard him say this, uh, uh, say, say uh, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet. 
we've been expecting. Others said he is the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided among, uh, about him. Some even wanted to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Just as a note there, it says, for the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah would be born uh, of the royal line of David in Bethlehem. Well, we, ought, we know that shows you the, the, the lack of understanding that they had because Jesus was actually born in, in Bethlehem. It's really interesting because in, in the absence of knowing the truth, a good story is always created, isn't it? Isn't it always created? That's true in your life and my life too, by the way. So that's why I try to be as transparent as possible. And sometimes you can hurt people's feelings by being transparent, but I'd rather be transparent and be understood than I would to have a good story be told about a situation that could be used for harm in some way. So I think that's what's going on here. And it says in 45, when the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? And they, of course, testified, we have never heard anyone speak like this, the guard responded. Have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God curses on them. Then Nicodemus, and we know from Nicodemus from earlier. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. And then in 53, and some of your Bibles may not have this, in 53, then the meeting broke up and everybody went home. What is going on here in this scripture? Well, to be quite honest with you, from verse 39 through 53, it's the same thing that was going on that we talked about last week. It's the same thing going on. People are still confused about who Jesus is. And I told you last week that when people get confused about who Jesus is, what they do is, is they create their own version of who Jesus is. And we went through of all the different versions that are created. We went through Cotton Candy Jesus, right? Cotton Candy Jesus, where everything's feel good and he loves, 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 loves. Uh, we went through that one. Uh, we talked about Sergeant Jesus, where they want to make Jesus some kind of militant. Um, we talked about ATM Jesus, where they just think that, hey, I, Jesus is here, and I'm just going to go up to the ATM, and that's, you know, he, he's just going to give me whatever I want. We, we talked about liberal Jesus. We talked about Republican Jesus. We talked about various Jesus. If you missed that, go back and listen to it, especially if you uh, have a problem sleeping at night, and it'll put you right to sleep, I promise. All right. But that's exactly what, what we've discussed. And the same thing is going on in 39 through 53. They're having the continuing discussion. They're still saying, hey, listen, who is this man? You know, he could be this person or that person. And, and the Pharisees are going, no, he's not this. And are you from Galilee too? Don't forget Galilee was the area where there were peasants and a lot of people were poor. That's why when Jesus fed the 5,000, we see 5,000 plus women and children. We see that was so important because they would have been very worried about the food they have. They would have been worried about the amount of food they had. And so when Jesus fed them, it was a huge thing. And so when he says, hey, are you from Galilee too? That was a put down. That was a shot taken uh, at, at them. That was derogatory. The part I want to focus on today, since we talked about those last week, is 37 through 30, uh, through 37 through 39. And that's the point I want to, I want to focus on today. 
The festival of shelters was going on during this time. Remember, they asked him to come to the festival of shelters. He said, no, I'm not going to come to the festival of shelters. I'm not going to come make a spectacle because you want me to be the whole week at festival of shelters. What is the festival of shelters? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, when Jonathan spoke for me when I had knee surgery, he, he went over what the festival of shelters is. But I want to remind you what, what it was. It was a time when they would commemorate how God had taken care of them in the desert. And so in your mind you need to think it was almost like a week-long campout. Alright, a week-long campout. Now I don't know about you, but I don't like camping very much. Are you with me? I'm more of a hotel kind of guy. Now I like hiking, like we went out west a few years back, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. We went out west years back, we didn't do any camping. Alright, it's too hot, it's too hot. I, I enjoy air conditioner and showers. And not the kind of showers that they say, oh, they've got showers and they go in and it's kind of nasty already. And then you shower and then you walk out and you're already nasty again. I'm talking about showers with when I walk out, there's air conditioners, nice towels, and, a, and hopefully a maid that will have the bed made when I get back from the hiking. Does that make sense? Now, some of you actually do enjoy camping, but you're all liars because you have these big RVs and they have TVs and air conditioners and refrigerators. And I'm like, well, why don't you just stay home if you're going to do that? If you're going to go or get a hotel near there, but you like that. I think they call that glamping, right? Glamorous camping is what that is. So, but that, here's what it was like. They would go and they would basically have a camp out the whole week. They would live in these things called shelters or tents, the festival of shelters. It was like tents because that's what they did that's what the people did when they were brought out of, out of Egypt. And there was all kinds of traditions that would take place during this week. There was traditional things. Now here's one thing I want to make sure you understand. As part of this week, they would not only look, they would not only look back. They would not only look back and see what, what God had done through Moses leading them out. But this is important, and some people miss this. They would also look forward. They would look forward because their mindset was, was that the Messiah was going to come and that all nations would be drawn to the Messiah and that he would rule forever as an earthly king. And the glory of what God had done would be throughout all generations. And here's the thing, that actually happened, but not the way they wanted it. Are you with me? It happened, and it's going to happen, but not the way they wanted it. They wanted God to be so good to them that all generations and all nations would be drawn to God. So the Israelites needed to show the goodness of God in their life, by their life, so that others would be drawn to that life. Does that sound familiar to y'all? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed, people are supposed to look at our lives and say, you know, they've been through this and this and this and this, but I'll tell you what, it's amazing how God has been with them. It's amazing what God has done for them. So they not only look back, but they also look forward. <clears throat> and there was a water, there was a water ceremony that would take place. And here's what would occur. The water ceremony was, and you may think, why water? Well, it was to commemorate two different things. 
First, the parting of the Red Sea where God parted the waters and they walked through into freedom away from Egypt. And the cool thing is, is they would sing Isaiah 12.3. And I think we have that up here, Isaiah 12.3. With joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. And they would sing that throughout the week. And especially at this water ceremony that I'm getting ready to tell you about. They would sing it over and over and over. But the second thing they looked at is the life-giving water. The life-giving water when Moses struck the rock and water flowed. And that's found in Exodus chapter 17, verses 2 through 6. It says, so once more the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me and why are you testing the Lord? But uh, tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with this? And he said, then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, and, and one, uh, take, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the, the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I, I will stand before you on the rock uh, at Mount Sinai, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock. Uh, as he was told, and water gushed out uh, as the elders looked on. So the cool part is, is that a lot of people think that they found the rock where this occurred. And I have a picture of that, which is really neat. All right, bring that picture up. That rock is, is what people supposed where, where Moses struck the rock. Because there was a split in the rock and water fell and came forward. Now there's a lot of symbolism here. All right, the rock was split. It was broken. I want you to get this. It was broken so that living water could flow out. It was broken so living water could flow out. And so in the same way, our rock, and we're going to take a look at, at, at uh, Corinthians in a minute, our rock, Jesus the rock, was also broken and living water would, would flow out of that which was broken. And that was the symbolism. So here's what would happen. So they celebrated these two events with the water. And here's what would happen. On the last day, they would circle the altar seven times. One time a day, they would go around the altar. One time with, with, a, with a basin of water. And they would pour it on the altar. But on the seventh day, what they would do is, is they would go around seven times. The priest would. And... And what would occur is on the sixth time around, a, another priest with wine would then go around. And I'm, I'm not going to get into the symbolism of the wine with the blood and those things, but, but we don't have time to do that. But he, he would go around. And what would occur is that on the sixth time, the priest would join him. They would walk around all the while. Can we bring Isaiah 12, 3 back up? All the while, the people were singing, with joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. With joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. 
And they're walking around with their water and there's cheers being had and people are cheering and the crowd would cheer. And on the seventh time in commemoration of the fall of the walls of Jericho, in, in, on the seventh time they would raise up the basin and the people singing with joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. They would scream higher and he would raise it up higher and they would sing with joy, you drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. And he would say higher, they would yell higher and he would raise it up all the way high and as, as high, high and he would go as far as, and then in one loud crash, he would pour the water and the wine onto the altar and the people would go ecstatic for all that God had done for them. And at this culmination, as the water is being poured, Jesus says this, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. That's what's going on here. Jesus is shouting, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. And anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Bring Isaiah 12.3 up again, please. Sorry about that, y'all. With joy you will drink deeply from the fountains of salvation. And Jesus is saying, anyone who thirsty, come to me. And if you believe in me, you will drink. Because rivers of living water will flow from this heart. Can you see the symbolism there? Can you see exactly what he's doing? Can you see what he's proclaiming? Can you see the whole picture now? And afterwards we know that they were very confused about who he was. So the question I always like to ask is what does it say about God? What does it say about me? And what am I going to do with it? That's what I always ask about the scriptures. And you can do the same thing. What does it say about God? What does it say about me? And what am I going to do with it? Well, obviously, the, the salvation that he has provided brings forth a living water within me. As we know it now as, as Holy Spirit, but it brings forth that living water in me. But there's some observations I want to tell you before we get to what does it mean about God. And it's this. And I want you to understand this. And if you don't understand this, then you're probably not going to get the full life that God's asking you to live. And here it is. Everyone is thirsty, you guys. Every one of us is thirsty. Make no mistake about it. We are all thirsty. Whether you know it or not, you are thirsty. You are whether you believe it, whether you want to admit it, you are thirsty. I want to tell you a story. Back in my running days, there was three days I ran. And back in those days, <laughs> I know, right? Um, um, no, listen, back in my running days, uh, I, I, uh, 
So there's two different kinds of runners. There's the runners that buy the right shoes and the right stuff and, the, and the, they have all the water and they have the, they have the little snacks and they have all of those things. You know, they, they're ready to go. They've trained. They've, they've researched. They've looked at all the different things. And I need, I need to make sure I eat a snack at mile three and at mile six and at mile nine. And, and then there's me who grabs a pair of tennis shoes and just starts running with no water, no snacks, or anything. And so, I, my very first half marathon and my very last half marathon was the same thing. It was the same one. We ran the Nashville Half Marathon. Now, I will tell you that whenever I signed up for the Nashville Half Marathon, I did not think through my life choices. Because I had been to Nashville, and I'd been to downtown Nashville. And riding in a car in downtown Nashville is so beautiful. Because there's these hills, you know, you go down the hills. As a matter of fact, you look down, there's hills and little valleys that you go through going downtown Nashville. You know, you go up this street and down this street. And it's so fun in a car. Not so fun on your feet running. So I had a plan and I had my plan, and I was getting ready. So here's the bad part. My brother, who is an interesting little bird, he said, hey, listen, when you fill out your forms, make sure that you put that, because when you have to fill out the forms, and anybody who's run knows this, you have to fill out the forms of where you rank in the running. So they want to know how fast can you run a half marathon. Well, I'd never run a half marathon. And I called my brother and I said, what are you going to put? And he said, I'm going to put an hour and 50 minutes to run a half marathon. If you don't know about running, this boy's not running an hour and 50 minute half marathon. Okay? So, and neither was my brother, by the way. But he said, what that'll do is, is that'll get us up close to the front. Well, let me just say this. <laughs> I know, it's as funny as it, it sounds. I don't know how else to express this but to say whenever I was in the group, because there's, there's A, B, C, D, E all the way back. Now, I belonged in double Z, all right, but I was in C group. And let me just say um, I stuck out in C group, all right? Everyone there was about a buck fifty, okay, and they were very in tuned with everything about running, they had cool headphones, and they had little, I mean, they were ready. I did not, and my brother did not. Now, Wendy fit in to group C. I did not. Um, and so we, they do the start thing, and what you do is they start off a group, and then you walk forward, and then every minute they start another group off. Well, they started us off. And I had a plan that I was going to run slower because I knew I didn't want to crash. And so Wendy and my brother took off. And Wendy turned around and said, come on, come on. Because I would promised her that, that I would run with her. And that was a lie. That was like, that was done. It was, it was done immediately. And so I started this whole race off in a lie. I shouldn't have listened to my brother because I could not run 150. Okay. Uh, I barely drive 13.1 miles. And uh, I mean, like literally, I, I am, it, it's not going to happen. All these people blew by me. 
and I'm by myself with Wendy and my brother ahead. And I'm like, this is not going to be hard at all. I'm, I'm literally running right down. I mean, this is, I'm going right down to the river. This is going to be awesome. Because I was going downhill, and I was like, I'm doing pretty good. I was totally by myself, but I'm doing pretty good. And I, I kept going, and they kept turning around and looking back. And, and we got down to the bottom. And after that time, a fourth wave of people blew by me. All right? We turned the corner, and I ran. It was so flat. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be so awesome. I bet we're going to go down by the river the whole way. And No, no. I turned the corner, and I promise you, it was straight uphill. I mean, when I say straight uphill, it was straight uphill for like a mile and a half, straight uphill. I was so on the struggle bus. And I would, I know this isn't true, but I would bet that the rest of the 12 and a half miles I run was uphill. There was a guy, I'll never forget this. There was a guy who, who and I knew Nashville, downtown Nashville, there, but I had figured out what the racetrack was going to be, and I knew, I knew that this guy was not, and, and there was these people along the way that were like, you're almost there, you're almost there. And I'm thinking, no, I'm not. I just passed mile nine. There's four, I mean, for me, almost there is, is 13 and then the point one, and then you're done. And he was like, you're almost there. He said, and the best part, there's no more hills. Well, he was a liar because there were tons of hills. We turned left and right. It was all a hill. But something happened about mile four. <clears throat> I started getting really thirsty, like really thirsty. And I don't know what happened, but I came by, and this person threw me a pack of, I guess they're called, uh, they're like jelly bean things, but they're like, I don't know what they're supposed to, supposed to give you energy, energy beans, I don't know. Uh, it's like, it looked like one of those packets that you get at the, at the Quick Mart, you know, I'm in the front, they got those little little energy things that probably should be illegal, but they're not overlooked by FDA. You know what I'm saying? That's what it looked like. And so I took a bite of one of those, and I about puked. I was like, I can't deal with that. But I cook water, but not enough water. And I kept on going, and Wendy wanted to kill me because she felt like she was practically walking the whole thing. And, uh, but I kept going, and we finally got to, uh, there was one point where I stopped, and I said, my legs are, st are stone, I can't get up that hill. Uh, but I did, I got up the hill, and then we did, finally, when you turn the curve, you actually are going downhill over the bridge right into Titan Stadium. Well, I was at that time, I'm talking about y'all, I could hardly breathe, I was so thirsty. There was, for some reason, the last two miles, there was no water stations that I saw. It may have been that all of the other people before me, the millions that went before me, took all the water, but I didn't see any water stations. And I am dying, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we turned into the, to the, uh, we turned into the Nissan Titan Stadium, and they have people waiting there with these cold towels, and they put a metal over your head, but it is like herding cattle. Like, they all, it's like, you know, it's, we, we drove in Atlanta the other day, and it's like, you know how Atlanta, you're like, got like six lanes, and, but you know it's going to four, and then you know it's going to three, and everybody's going to fight to get, that's what it was like. And I'm going in through that thing. And I don't know how I did this, but, well, I do know, I'm very claustrophobic. Like, if you get too close to me, you may get punched in the forehead. I mean, I'm like, get away from me. I just want people to get away. So I'm in this big herd of people, and we're all walking through. I'm burning up. I am dying of thirst. 
And somehow the crowd takes me out of the whole little arena area out to this other area. And I went through a gate and you can't go back in. And there's no water anywhere. And I said, I got to have water. I got to have water. I got to have water. And Wendy's like, I don't know where water is. I don't know where water is. I said, I have to have water. And there's no water anywhere. And it's packed. However, there was a group of people giving out free beer. (laughs) So I go over and sit down. And at that moment, I had a moral dilemma. Do I save myself from this wretched, wretched situation? Or do I not drink a beer? And Wendy said, let me go look for water. I said, okay. And I'm standing there looking at those runners that had just run that all were in group C. And they're laughing and having fun. And I'm literally on the verge of death. And I'm sitting there watching them. And my legs are cramping up. And they're all chugging beer. And it looked really good. Now, just for reference, I don't think there's anything wrong with a believer drinking alcohol. I just hate beer. I hate it. If I ever drink anything, I'd rarely do. But if I do, it's basically going to be a slushy with a little bit of liquor in it. <laughs> I mean, but that's pretty much it. And I really don't even do that. And I'm looking at it going, oh, my gosh. Oh. So being the holy man I am, I stood up. And started to go toward the beer. Because I had to have something. And just at that moment, Wendy came up and said, I found something. I said, good, let's go. And wouldn't you know, a Christian organization had a swimming, a little plastic swimming pool full of water and Gatorade. You know those tall Gatorades you have? I drank three. From there to the car. Oh, no, it wasn't. Oh, it was fine. Don't, no, I didn't get sick at all. But I learned my lesson that day. I really did. Because I needed some nutrients and I needed some water. But I didn't realize I needed nutrients and water. Now, fast forward, after I had given up running that Wendy had talked me into, I'd given it up. So now Wendy's talked me into hiking. Um, anything to get me off the couch. So anything to pull me away from Dateline NBC, she'll do. So I'm going to hike. So I I go hiking. So she's like, hey, you know, let's do a big trip. And I said, let's do a big trip. And I said, you know what I'd really like to do? I'd like to go out for three weeks. I'd like to go to out west and do a trip for three weeks. Just do a road trip. She said, oh, that sounds awesome. And so we did. And I said, well, here's what we do. I kind of book the hotels because I'm not camping. And she, she does the activities. And my thought was that we would do a little hiking. Are you with me? Unfortunately, that was not Wendy's thought. And so we did do a little hiking. We hiked probably six to ten miles a day in the desert in July. Um, in Utah, in, in, in uh, Arizona, uh, we actually went one day to the, uh, Wendy, what's the name of the place? Death Valley. Death Valley. 
we were Death Valley. And it was weird because I was driving, yes, it was 121 degrees, right? I was driving out to Death Valley and there was no one else there. And I was like, how bad can this thing be? And I got out and I was like, oh, it's bad. It's bad. And so I stayed for Death Valley for about five seconds and prayed to God the air conditioner on our car did not break on the way back. But I'll tell you one thing I didn't do. I didn't go unprepared. Because every time we would go out for a hike, I had enough water to water 10 horses. And I had a buffet in my backpack. Because I had learned, I had learned, I needed that. Here's the thing that I want you to understand. Whether you know it or not, you are thirsty. Whether it's as obvious as the race I did, you are thirsty. Everyone is thirsty. And the reality is, is that because everyone is thirsty, a lot of us will look for things that do not quench our thirst. But I want you to know this. And this is something about God that I want you to see from the scripture. Only Jesus quenches our thirst. Only Jesus. For so long, many of us search. We search for things that will not fulfill us. We look out for things that will not fulfill us. We look for things like money. We chase things like money. We say, hey, listen, if I could only, if I could only strive to make this much money, that would be great. The problem is, I don't know if you've noticed this, but traditionally when I make more money, for some reason people find ways to take that from me. Are you with me? When I make more money, it just so happens that I like nicer meals and I like a nicer vehicle or I like a nicer car and that money never does fulfill me. Can I tell you some of the wealthiest people I know are some of the most miserable people I know? It's because money doesn't fulfill. It doesn't quench that thirst that is within us. These people that kept coming to this, this, this celebration, which was an incredible celebration, they kept coming. But when they left and when they departed, like, like the last verse says, when they departed, they still needed that which quenched their thirst. And that was Christ. A lot of us try to quench our thirst with things. I call it thingitis or stuffitis. You say, if I can only get this house, if I can only get this car. By the way, have I mentioned that God had spoke to me about a car? Do we have that picture? Do we have, did I mention that last week? I wasn't sure. Did I? Okay. If you weren't here last week, you don't get that joke, but I got $1 toward that car. $1. And... I put that on the menu and I put Corvette fund and it's on the, it's on my, uh, it's on my, in my office hanging up there. Anyway, people look for things. If I could only get this job, if I could only live in this place, if I could only do this, if I could only do that, if I could only, if I could only, if I can only, and here's what happens. You get that temporarily. You're happy with that. And then that becomes something which is also not fulfilling what it is that your heart desires. One thing people do oftentimes is, is they try to fulfill, they try to quench that thirst that they have that everyone has. They try to quench it with people. If I only had that person as a friend, if I could only get married, 
If you're thinking, if I can only get married and I'll be fulfilled, hey, listen, marriage is good, but marriage is hard too. Just want to let everybody know. It's fulfilling, but it's hard. Are you with me? If I can only be in that crowd or this crowd, or if I can only do this or do that, let me tell you guys something. People will disappoint you every day of the week. I will disappoint you. You know, Wendy will disappoint you. All, everybody in here will disappoint you at some point. You can't quench the thirst that you have within you by trying to fill it with things, with people, with money. Only Jesus quenches our thirst. That's why John chapter 4 says this, and we read this. John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. He replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. It's with a woman at the well. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Isaiah 40, 44, 3 says this. It says, for I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields, that which was in you. And I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your children. In Matthew 5, 6, we say that it says this, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. And when you do that, you will be satisfied. Only Jesus quenches our thirst. And the final thing I want you to know is this, is that our spiritual drought has ended in him. I want you to get that. These people that were surrounding him were spiritually in a drought. They were. When we first moved to Georgia, the first or second year, there was a drought. And I'm like, man, this is horrible. And it was really horrible because we went to a Christian camp and the well ran dry at the Christian camp. Can you imagine 300 teenagers at a Christian camp and there's no water? It was so bad that Wendy said, you know what, I'm out of here. And she left me at the camp. She left me at the camp because Blake was with us. And if you know my son, you, most people didn't know him back then, but he was a holy terror and he was five years old. And she was like, there's nothing to do up here and there's no water. I'm going home. And I said, I don't blame you. Can I ride with you? But I had these kid, teenagers to take care of. But it was so bad. The well ran dry and it was such a miserable week for everybody that was involved. The only thing that could solve that issue was water. So when, when, when Jesus stood up, and these people had a well that had been run dry for years and years and years and generation and generation and generation. And they were expectantly waiting for when Jesus stood up and he says, hey, listen, your spiritual drought has ended. It would be something that would be incredible. First Corinthians 10, one through four says this. First Corinthians 10, one through four says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. It says all of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them and all of them walked through, uh, walked through the uh, sea on dry ground. And then it says this, it says in the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food. And all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was Christ. I don't want you to miss that. The rock that was broken for you and I is Christ. The water that pours out 
The water that pours out is life-giving. Not life-giving for temporary, but life-giving forever. That water that he proclaims to be. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. And anyone who believes in me and may, may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Can we look at Isaiah 12, 3 one more time? With joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. My prayer for you today is, is that with joy, you too will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you so much for the living water that you give to us. Thank you so much for the living water that pours out and where we will never thirst again. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you, God, that all of these things that we search out after, Lord, you are the answer. Lord, you are the solution. Lord, we can try our best to, to fill up our canteens with all kinds of things in our life that we think is going to quench our thirst. But God, much like I found out, there's only one thing that can quench a thirst. And that's life-giving water. Lord, the scripture says that, says that you were poured out like a drink offering for us. Lord, let us be people that sing, that sing that the life-giving water will be poured out and salvation will be here. Lord, my prayer is for everyone here that not only that they would understand the text we read today, but that they would live it and understand it completely, not as a knowledge thing, but as a life-giving thing. It's in the strong and mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand up for our final worship song this morning. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please visit our website at realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Until then, God bless and remember to love God, love others, and live real.